is this family, Stacey Abrams' employer, will work-from-home employees soon be required to leave their webcams on, and a Hall of Fame quarterback is sacked by the woke mob. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. We're going to start today off by talking about one of my favorite news subjects to cover, which you guys are all familiar with, and that is the candidate for Georgia governor, Stacey Abrams. Now, I'm not going to be talking about the debate that was the other night because I am recording a show separately where I go deep into Stacey Abrams' background and I show what her path reveals about who she really is and what that person looks like in comparison to the person she claims to be. It'll probably be the most in-depth look at Abrams that is out there. I'm hoping to have that up by Friday. What we're going to be talking about is another Abrams-related story. This is in the news, which I actually recorded this last night. So I'm going to insert that recording right here. So for those of you watching this episode, you're about to see me wearing a different shirt. Here's the story. Stacey Abrams. She is in the news today for an unsurprising but worth mentioning reason, I believe, which is that the governor of Georgia candidate, she has bagged herself another million-dollar donation from one of her oldest friends, oldest both in terms of age as well as how long they've known each other. That friend is, of course, George Soros. This news should come as no surprise to anyone who is familiar with Abrams' background. In fact, it's not just Soros who gets in on the action. His entire family has been giving Abrams millions of dollars for her various projects and campaigns for over a decade. It happens so frequently that it kind of looks like Abrams is an employee of the Soros family. Now, the most recent donation from Papa George appeared in Abrams' latest campaign finance records and was made to Abrams' leadership committee, One Georgia, Inc., which is used to boost her campaign for governor. This cool million, though, is just chump change compared to the $2.5 million Soros donated to Abrams' organization in March and June of this year. And George, as per usual, isn't the only member of the Soros family who made sure that their gal Stacy is taken care of Soros' daughter, Andrea, also recently made a donation to Abrams' organization, a $100,000 donation back in August. And while that amount of money could hardly cover the cost of Abrams' lunch, it dwarfs the size of the measly $500 donation that Soros' daughter-in-law, Jennifer, made earlier this summer, which I'm sure Abrams was very insulted by. But seeing as she's trailing in the polls by nine points or so right now, she kind of has to take what she can get. And luckily for her, the Soros family is more than happy to oblige and to just give and give and give to Queen Stacy as the Soros to Abrams money funnel does not end there. Along with donating, donating to Abrams committee, George and his or two of his kids have also each given Abrams three donations starting back in January directly to her campaign for governor, which add up to $19,700 apiece. They do have limits on that sort of thing. Otherwise, those would be even larger than that. Now, all of this might seem, you know, like a little bit much for one family to give somebody who is not a member of their family, Stacey Abrams, or to anyone for that matter. But the Soros family clearly knows the value of making sure that your best employees are more than compensated for. Because the last thing they want to happen is to lose her to somebody who comes along and makes her a more lucrative offer. I wonder, and I'm being serious here, or as Biden would say, not a joke, I wonder if Abrams is listed as a beneficiary in George Soros' will. I'd be willing to bet that she is. 
and that she's in line to get a substantial amount of money once George moves on to the next plane. I'm serious. I I bet that she is a beneficiary in his will. A couple of quick stories here about an emerging theme in the news, which is the war on working from home, something to keep an eye on. The pandemic, as everybody knows, made working from home normal because people weren't allowed to go in the office even if they wanted to because of COVID. And many employers or employees were told that this was going to be the new way of work. And many of them moved to new cities that were more affordable because they didn't fear losing their job. They were led to believe they would not lose their job. And well, now that's, you know, screw that because many of the heads of corporations and bosses and whatnot, they don't like working from home and they're trying various ways to coax their work from home employees back into the office with stuff like requesting that they have to have their webcam on all day long. That's, that's, A real request is being made. There's actually a story I'm going to tell you about in a second related to that. But they don't want to fire them outright because the law is uncertain right now about whether or not they can do that. And they don't want to be subjected to a lawsuit for wrongful termination. So they're looking for other ways to get rid of these work-from-home employees. And a company doing that specifically, Equifax, the global credit reporting company that is most known for its 2017 data breach that exposed the private data of 148 million Americans, which resulted in the social security numbers of roughly half of the U.S. population winding up in the possession of known criminals. They took the war on remote employees to another level this past week as they made 1,000 of their own employees, their own people who work from home, the target of an internal investigation which the company dubbed Project Home Alone. They called it Project Home Alone. Give me a break. They were looking for employees who had other jobs on top of their work with Equifax. They ultimately found 25 who were working either a second or a second and third job on top of their gig with Equifax. And then they ended up firing 24 of them after doing, it says interviews in their little report. It sounds a lot more like interrogations to me, but man, they must, they must pay their employees well if some of them feel like they have to have a second and third jobs just to get by. Now, it could be argued that Equifax is not wrong in getting rid of these employees because maybe it was a conflict of interest or they weren't doing their job well, but if that's the case, then fire them for their performance. And that would seem to be the solution there. And Equifax themselves in the report said that some of the people they fired did not have any conflict of interest. Like one of them just brought a computer that was associated with their other job into the offices at Equifax. And that ended up being the reason that person was fired. So it appears that Equifax was in the name of that project, Project Home Alone. It appears they're just looking for reasons to get rid of these employees. And the way that they did this, mind you, targeting their own people, 1,000 of them, those other employees... I think would be pretty pissed about the privacy invasion because what they did was they conducted this investigation using this massive database of private data, credit data, job data, work data, employment history, lots of personal stuff called the work number. It's one of their own products. And it's a product that came under fire for a controversy a couple of years, a few years back because they sold access to people's data to third parties without informed consent. They basically set up this operation here to go on a witch hunt to try and root out these work-from-home employees 
and they weaponized their own massive database of people's personal private data who worked for them to track them and monitor them. I, I mean, I, I wonder how many of those people quit after that investigation. I would be, I would be mad. Uh, obviously, they're going to want to have another, a second or third job lined up if they do that. But one of the people that they fired, they wrote in their report how they know that he was working a third job on the weekends. Why does it matter if he doesn't work for you on the weekends? He was working part-time in a hospital as a nurse. Fire this monster! The way they found that out is during their in- investigation, their interview of him, which they did an interview via, I guess, Zoom. They said they saw all, they, how he was dressed and he was in a hospital with scrubs on and there was people. So he was dressed as like a nurse and they're writing in their report. We, we knew that he was working. A job. He obviously wasn't covering it up. I, I mean, can you imagine one of these people who fired this person ends up in the hospital that this, that this nurse is working on the weekend? I'm sure the person would probably treat them well, but man, certainly doesn't make you look good from a PR perspective for Equifax. The war on work from home is real. And as this battle wages on, what's going to happen is new regulations are going to emerge at the federal and state level. For instance, around what I brought up earlier, whether or not a company can require work from home employees to leave their webcam on all day, which brings us to the next story. A remote employee from, he lives in the Netherlands, but works at a Florida-based IT company, he was awarded a $73,000 judgment by a Netherlands court against the company for wrongful termination after they fired him because he refused to keep his webcam on. The company told him in August that he needed to keep his webcam on all day long for a virtual training program. You know, that's what Tubin should have done. Tubin should have claimed that CNN forced him to keep his webcam on all day. So it wasn't his fault that he masturbated in front of his female colleagues at CNN on Zoom because he had to keep his camera on all day. What did they expect him to do? Not masturbate just after lunch? The employee said he didn't feel comfortable being monitored for nine hours a day by the camera, said it was an invasion of his privacy, and said the company could already monitor his activities on his laptop, and he was sharing his screen activity. The company then argued that having the camera on all day is no different than if he were in the office where people would see him all day. And so then they fired him three days later for for insubordination. Now, the Netherlands court, they said the firing wasn't legal, saying that the employer had not made it clear enough about the reasons for the dismissal and that there was no evidence that he had shown a refusal to do work. So there were some legal experts that commented on this story because this case, the guy lived in the Netherlands. But according to experts in this article anyway, they say that if this happened to someone in the United States and they were asked to leave their webcam on all day, that they believe that it's probably not illegal to make U.S. employees leave their camera on all day. And then one expert said that on the federal level, the laws around employee privacy are outdated, and there's a lot of issues coming up now with remote work that aren't covered. So that's where these laws are going to emerge, and we're going to see some... Really, this, I mean, I think this is going to be interesting to watch because can you imagine if you would be legally required to leave your webcam on all day working from home? Is that the trade off? If you want to work from home, you have to have your camera on all the time. You have to give a level of control of your webcam to not only your company, but the government at all times. At what point can it be turned off? So, at what point does the day end? 
What if you want to do a little bit of work, you know, at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m.? Do you have to then have that on and connected to whoever? And if you don't have it on and your business sees that, will they be able to remotely turn it on? How much control will they have in, con- in controlling that camera? It also makes you wonder what constitutes work from home. You know, what if you do one meeting or check one email from home? Are you now a, a work home employee part time and you have to subject your camera under the control of whatever these new laws will be. It's just something interesting to watch. Okay, now it's time for this week's News of the Woke. A couple of stories here under that category, starting with yet another example of why you should never, under any circumstances, apologize to woke outrage culture, which former Dallas Cowboy quarterback and now NFL broadcaster Troy Aikman made the foolish mistake of doing yesterday. Aikman came under fire earlier this week after he made what was called controversial statements during the broadcast of the Raiders' chief game on Monday night. You see, the NFL, they're enforcing this roughing the passer penalty in, I guess, a different way. I guess there's new rules around it or something. And it's been, like, obviously, objectively terrible. Like, they're throwing flags for just tackling the quarterback. And players and broadcasters and former players have been complaining about it and saying it needs to be changed because it has affected the outcome of at least one game. And that happened. A flag was thrown for roughing the passer that just looked like somebody was being tackled. And Aikman expressed his dislike for it. I'm going to play you what he said during the broadcast. And let's see if you can identify what the controversial part of his statement is. He's there. It's just where it, it is. is too much. I mean, my hope is the competition committee looks at this in the next set of meetings and, you know, we take the dresses off. Second down and seven. Take the dresses off. If that's what you guessed, you'd be correct. This comment apparently upset many viewers, or at least some viewers, which to me is kind of surprising because you just wouldn't expect someone who watches football to get upset about a football-like comment such as that, a harmless one at that. But it is 2022, and outrage culture is how people get the attention that mom and dad never gave them. And those who were upset about this, they did what we do in 2022. They took to Twitter to express their anger and call Aikman sexist and misogynistic, to which I would say to those people who were upset about Aikman's comments, you know, maybe take the dress off. Another tweeter whose panties were clearly in a wad, quoted Aikman, stating that Aikman is implying that the rules, the new rules, are girly. This guy then concluded by calling Aikman a real caveman, or a whole caveman, is what he called him. Aikman was asked about what he said during a podcast interview yesterday, and he said that his comments were dumb, that he shouldn't have made them, that they were just dumb remarks on his part. To which I would say to Aikman, Maybe take the dress off, man. This is a historically dumb controversy. It's not even a controversy. I mean, I haven't seen such a minor... I mean, it's nothing. This is what people do when they talk about football. I mean, he's a former quarterback. That's how they talk. That's how a lot of people talk. And the fact that he walked back his comments, like, immediately, I mean, that was a bad move. Completely bad move, because it makes it seem as though he's admitting that he did something wrong. And what he does here is he really kind of paints a a massive target on his back for these woke progressives who get off on this outrage culture. I mean, they live for it. And by apologizing, walking walking it back, I don't want to say he apologized, but saying it was dumb, it wasn't. It was just a comment. 
They see blood in the water around someone like that. Because if you back down to something that minor, man, their teeth are going to come out because they know, it. They, they know they have found themselves an easy target and they are coming for you. And Aikman's job is an NFL broadcaster. So he talks during the entire games, making you know, football comparisons and metaphors and whatnot. He's going to be giving these woke progressives who now know he is an easy target plenty of, plenty of material that they can pretend to be outraged about. And then come after him again. They love when people bow down and bend the knee. You can't ever apologize to, to these people. You, you just can't do it. Never do it. Don't normalize and reward this truly awful behavior that they engage in. That is unless you want this to be the type of society that you live in, where we are all controlled by progressives who get the most outraged the most often by the most harmless things. Is that a society you want to live in? No apology to this mindless woke mob has ever been accepted, and then they just leave that person alone. That's never happened. When this happens to Troy Aikman again, and it will, because they see him as weak now, he's going to have to respond in a little bit of a different way next time, in a way that sends a message to this woke mob that he is not to be trifled with, and he's not going to bend the knee to their... Latest outrage. Not going to live at the mercy of that. And I have a suggestion for Troy on how he can accomplish this once and for all. He doesn't need to do any podcasts or any shows. He doesn't need to make any statements about it if he's getting a bunch of trolls on Twitter calling him sexist, misogynistic, whatever. He needs to remain silent until his next broadcast. And maybe a Monday night football game if he's working a Monday night game and wait till the broadcast, maybe the halftime show, because they usually throw it to the, the former player with the expert knowledge to get his insights on the half. And this is how I would suggest Troy Aikman handle it when this happens again. Get, get into character here. Halftime here, and the home team finds themselves trailing by two scores. Let's throw it over to Troy Aikman for his halftime analysis. Troy? Thanks, Bob. Yeah, tough game for the quarterback there. Two interceptions on the afternoon already, and he is just not putting his team in a good position to win this game. That last pick especially is the kind of interception that really demoralizes your whole team because he had a man wide open for a touchdown, just could not get him the ball. And it's been the same story all afternoon. His receivers are running great routes, getting open, but the quarterback is just having a hard time completing passes because he is throwing the ball like a girl. I mean, when he drops back to pass, he might as well be wearing high heels and a skirt because the passes he's throwing don't look like passes thrown by any man. They look more like passes thrown by someone with lactating breast and that's just not going to cut it against this defense this is one of the best defenses in the league and unless he wants his team to get completely blown out here today he's going to have to do something he might not want to do but he's going to have to he's going to have to march into that locker room and pull the string out because you can't be a top quarterback in this league with a tampon in that's just what he's going to have to do if he wants to have any chance of getting his team back in this game Otherwise, he's no use to them, and they'd be better served if he stepped off the football field, put on a cute little dress and an apron, and stepped into the kitchen where he could at least make himself useful and make some sandwiches for the real men that showed up to play football here today. Because it's clear that he did not. The way he's playing out there, he seems far less concerned about getting a win than he does about getting over to the salon after the game so he can get his vagina waxed. The fans in the stadium, at home, his team, his family, his kids, if he has any, his coaches, everyone is just praying that at halftime he decides in that locker room to just take the dresses off. 
Back to you, Bob. Give us four quarters of that, Troy Aikman. And these butthurt tweeters that keep calling you sexist and misogynistic, they won't see you as such an easy target anymore, and they'll move on to someone else who is. Now, you might lose your job, but you'll be on Tucker Carlson the next night for sure. And probably Joe Rogan a few weeks later. Isn't that how the progression works, or is it, is it vice versa? I don't know. Okay, before we get to the final story of the day, in which we're going to deconstruct one of my favorite 2022 campaign midterm ads thus far this election cycle, I think it's great. I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the subscriber-only portion of the show, the DMBXR, which is we're going to do more campaign ad deconstruction. One of my favorite things to do every election cycle, especially this time, because boy, are the ads wild. I mean, they are getting wild. It's going to be a lot of fun, and if you want to get access to that subscriber-only content, go to patreon.com slash report and subscribe there today, and what you will get is you will get the subscriber-only content as well as this show, the Drive Time News Blast, ad-free. I take out the ads for Patreon subscribers, and you'll get both shows together delivered straight to your personal, private Patreon RSS feed, and you can pop that into just about any podcast app, and it delivers straight to your phone. You can also support the show by sharing it with your friends if you think they'd be into it or by leaving me a five-star rating because it helps us show up in the search result engines more in a wonderful comment that warms my tender heart and helps keep me motivated. I can't tell you how much it helps me to read the kind things that you guys say. It truly does help me, and I appreciate it. I'm so grateful. Thank you very much for that. That's patreon.com slash propaganda report. Now on to the final story of the day. So campaign ads are just getting wild, man. I mean, they're getting crazier and crazier because we live in this attention economy now. We, we're all surrounded by screens. There's more media for us to consume than ever before in history. And all of the people producing it are fighting for our attention. And like I described in yesterday's show, we're at a place in time where there are two experiments, one domestic, one international, where the political leaders around the world are experimenting with how to produce politics in the way that exactly, exactly how a Netflix-style Hollywood television series is produced, which ends up with everything being way too dramatic, way too over the top. And that means for campaign ads, which were already that way before, the question becomes, where do we go from here? How do we get any bigger, any more insane than we already are? And that has led to quite the creativity. It's really sparked that creative mind of whoever's coming up with some of these campaign ads. And it makes it fun to kind of go through some of them. We had one candidate for Congress in Louisiana earlier this year put out an ad where he's sitting in a big, luxurious leather office chair out in the middle of the woods, smoking a fat blunt. Smoke billowing everywhere. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you would think you're watching the beginning of... uh, a hip-hop video, and there was about to be a bunch of dancers twerking their way into the scene. There was another ad for a statewide race where a woman put out an ad on TikTok of her riding a rodeo bull naked. That was the ad? I'm all for it. I'm all for it, all right? Whatever. But that, I mean, that's what we're getting to. Campaign ads, literally just nudity. And even more than just that, because a couple of weeks ago, we had a House candidate in New York, release a porn video. A literal porn video to highlight his sex-positive platform. Porn as campaign advertisement. That's where we are in 2022. What a glorious time to be alive. And he's running against 
Nadler. Let's hope that Nadler doesn't try to one-up this guy with a little video of his own. But to close the show, the ad that I want to deconstruct with you all, it's not quite as extreme as those I described, but it certainly has its own laugh-out-loud, in my opinion, charm. It made me laugh-out-loud anyway. And it's an ad from Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. Here it is. I'm going to pop it up on screen. Violent crime is surging in Louisiana. Woke leaders blame the police. I blame the criminals. A mom should not have to look over her shoulder when she's pumping gas. I voted against the early release of violent criminals, and I opposed defunding the police. Look, if you hate cops just because they're cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. (laughs) I'm John Kennedy, and I approve this message. I think that's a great ad for a number of reasons. The structure of it is great. The performance is good. The structure, it starts off super serious, and then it flips it at the end with the reveal about the crack headline. A lot of ads just try and be too wonky at the end, and there's you can't go any bigger or reveal anything. But that was very nicely structured. And his performance, fantastic job. You could really feel his condemnation. I mean, just in your heart, I could feel it. His, if you don't like cops, it's because they're cops and call a crackhead instead. I mean... Fantastic performance by Senator Kennedy there. And this might not be such a bad idea. I mean, it would certainly throw off an intruder trying to break into your home if all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, a crackhead shows up to arrest him. I mean, can you imagine the shock that that intruder would feel? I mean, he knows what to expect if the cops were to show up. He's thought about that a million times. He might even have an escape plan ready in his mind. But if a crackhead shows up, He's never thought about that. He's never thought, what I'm going to do if a crackhead were to show up to arrest me? He is not mentally prepared to handle this situation. I mean, a cop shows up and he says, freeze, put up your hands. Crackhead shows up and he's like, freeze and give me my eyeballs back. That's going to confuse the hell out of the intruder. And that's exactly when you ambush him. When his head is cocked with a WTF look and he's going, wait, did you call a crackhead? You're damn right I did. Then you jump his ass. And the slogans, I think, would be better, too. I mean, back the blue? Eh. But back the crack? Now, that's a bumper sticker I'd put on my car. And you probably wouldn't even have to call the crackhead, either. All you gotta do is give him a few bucks, and he'll just start showing up at places where you are, trying to let you, trying to get, trying to get you to let him do stuff. You know, hey, let me cut your yard. Let me cut your toenails. Let me cut your teeth. Just trying to get you to slide him a few bucks. He'll just be ready and happy to intervene and save you from a criminal. A friend of mine lives in downtown Atlanta, and he comes home sometime to find a crackhead on his roof, cleaning it. I'm dead serious. Guy just decided to get up there and start cleaning his roof, hoping my friend would give him a few bucks. It's like when you go to the gas station and a homeless person walks up and starts spraying your windshield with whatever mix of tap water and urine is in that bottle, hoping you'll give him a few bucks. Except with my friend, it's a crackhead on his roof, scrubbing the hell out of something. Long story short, now he's my buddy's roof guy. It really is a wonderful story, and it shows what happens when you just take initiative. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. We're going to continue this conversation, continue the ad deconstruction in the DMBXR. If you want to get access to that subscriber only content, again, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. Thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.